Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Olga Lopetegui. She is the head of Olo Restaurant Loyalty Specialist, and we're going to dive into email marketing and loyalty and all those things. That's going to be a great conversation. But first, Olga, say hello and give a little bit of backstory. Hey, hey, Derek. Nice, nice to see you here. Um, so yeah, I'm Olga Lopetegui. I've been in the restaurant world for close to 20 years now. Uh, I've um, worked with large restaurant chains over the years. Actually started out as a in a very different industry as a lawyer in oil and gas. Um, so again, it came came to food uh, sort of very roundabout ways. Um, but for the last three, almost four years now, I've been running uh, the loyalty consulting firm called Olo Consult. And what we do, we help restaurant chains that have loyalty and CRM programs. Essentially, run those chains, run those programs with uh, less effort and less resources than they would have uh, to apply in-house. So I learned a lot along the way about the uh, uh, restaurant uh, restaurant business and about what are the best ways to reach out to your guests. Lots of opinions, lots of experience there. So happy to share it. Awesome. So it's funny because I'm sure a lot of people who uh, are listening already are like email. Eh, I know how to do that. We do that already. I, I've actually heard it firsthand a number of times, but there really is a lot of theory. There's a lot of uh, information that goes into email marketing. And then there's a lot of uh, conflation of email and loyalty program. So I think to, to start things off, let's help people figure out what is the difference between email marketing and loyalty and CRM and all of that. And what are the similarities? Yeah, and all of it kind of tends to blend together, right? So at the end of the day, all of it is marketing communications. And uh, loyalty is one of the tools uh, that allows you to communicate a little bit better because what loyalty programs allow you to do, unlike most email marketing programs, loyalty programs allow you to gather information on the customer on their individual transactions. So when somebody is in the loyalty program, you know exactly when they showed up, how much money they spent, um, you know um, which kind of products they like, how frequently they show up. So that all of that allows you to target those customers better. Not to say that that's the only way to get that information. There are a couple of other methods um, to, to get to it and to use it in your marketing, but those tend to be a little bit less cost effective. Although as usual, everything depends, right? It depends on how you, how you set it up. So to me, CRM and loyalty, they're very, very close. CRM may not have a loyalty, uh, loyalty component to it, but it very often does. Email is definitely part of a CRM. CRM is really customer relationship management, any outreach to customers. The reason I love email is um, not because it's sexy, not because it's popular, 
but because it's the most cost-effective method to reach people. It's the most familiar. It's um, non-intrusive, but in a good way. So you're not in their face so that they want to unsubscribe. And it allows you to be fairly creative. It's highly trackable. So, you know, what's not to love? Yeah, not, not, not super sexy, but that it works. Yeah, it's still yeah, one of the most effective ways, despite being around for so long. Um, so how has email marketing evolved and become more challenging over the years? I mean, because we know emails started, gosh, probably in the late 80s, early 90s, and it's only just exponentially grown. Um, and I think we went through a phase, maybe we're still in it, where people will do anything to try to knock through that front door of the inbox and get your attention to the point where we had to have laws created to prevent them from doing so. Um, so where are we at now? How has it evolved? And, and why is it still challenging for people? Well, email, like any, any customer communication is always going to be challenging. The moment the brand changes strategy, everybody else copies it and then guests get used to it. And um, the companies that manage our inboxes adapt. Um, so I think the, one of the biggest challenges in the past few years has been the migration of so many, you know, so many people into the Gmail um, inbox, which has a promotions folder. So a lot of our email does not end up with inbox placement. It ends up in the promotion folder. And while there are ways to manage it, um, there are ways to get into that inbox, it's pretty challenging. And not everybody can do it. And even if you do get there, you don't always always stay there forever. So it's pretty pretty common to drop back into promotion. So the, uh, the visibility of your marketing efforts with the existence of the promotions folder has become, um, it's more difficult to get noticed. Having said that, if your communications are relevant, you're going to float to the top. If your communications are um, are relevant to the guests, they're more likely to open your email. Because as we all know from our own experiences, we glance through the promotion folder and then we choose to open one or two or three emails and ignore the rest. And so the key is how do you become that communication that the guest actually wants to open? Because you can't make them do anything. You can only get them to want to do it. And that's uh, that's the magic of the CRM because, uh, and I'll take a non-food non example. Um, so there's a brand of clothes that uh, I tend to buy for my kids. And uh, those guys have figured out I got boys, uh, even though the, the clothes are, um, for that particular brand, they don't really do like gender-specific clothes, but they figured out I like I got boys. I buy blue, green, gray, and black. They're boys, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm traditional. So... Well, they when they when they put uh, uh, subject lines in the emails that come to me, I can tell that half the time there is blue, there is gray, there is green. Um, the colors that I buy are in the subject lines, so I'm much more likely to open the email that talks about blue than the email that talks about purple. Mm -hmm. And it works, right? So, and I want to open it because they advertise a product that I'm much more likely to to react. And the same with food. You know, when you go, when you try to target a customer and get them to want to open that email, you want to send them something that you think they are more likely to open. And that's that's really what the trick is all about: increasing visibility, um, increasing top of mind, getting them to want to see what you have to say. Yeah, and a lot of the systems that are out there today uh, do this. What's what's called segmentation, um, sometimes automatically, but I think it does take a little bit more of a dive. And I've seen it go wrong. So, for instance, I get Banana Republic emails. Oddly enough, I get more emails about ladies' dresses than I do about the stuff that I've actually bought. Um, so, when you get in with a client, how do you start to maybe fix? 
poor segmentation um, while also instantiating stronger segmentation. Yeah, so uh, what I uh, what I tend to do with uh, with the segmentation exercises, which by the way we typically do those for the brands that have significant size databases, because if your database is like twenty five thousand addresses or even fifty thousand addresses, I would not recommend any significant segmentation exercises because the segments are so small, it's really not worth it. Um, or at least I haven't found a cost effective way to get there. Uh, for the brands um, that are small, for the for the email lists that are smaller or database lists that are smaller, if you have a relatively large um, database, so what we typically do is we will go in and we'll look at well first we we'll look at the menu and the product mix with the brand, then we we'll look at what um, what the brand is known for. Um, what types of customers can the groups of customers we can identify within that brand. And then we make some hypothesis as to which segments are we more likely to find to be substantially large that we can target now. And then we also look at for um, we want those segments not only to be large, but we also want them to be meaningful in terms of being able to figure out what kind of communication do these people want. And an example of a bad segment, large but bad segment, is, let's say, females. Mm -hmm. In the context of the restaurant marketing, well, it's great that you know that I'm a woman, but how are you going to use that for marketing to me? Are you going to just presume I'm going to eat a salad all the time? Yes. Or yes. what does it mean? I'm going to eat pancakes <laughs> with pink? Or, you know, what? what is it? How are you going to target me that now that you know that I'm female? So... Yeah, it may it may affect your overall brand messaging. If you are mostly targeting females, it may affect your brand strategy in ways. It may some specific pieces of advertising might change. But generally, if you're a restaurant, you really don't care if I'm male or female. You care what kind of product I eat. And a, a woman that eats steak all the time, you probably want to target her with steak. And the guy that likes pink pancakes, you probably want to continue targeting him with pink pancakes, no matter, <laughs> um, um, no matter if it's you know. And, uh, whichever gender it happens to be. So Definitely. I find that demographic information is really, really important for brand positioning work, but it's substantially less relevant for marketing communications most of the time, not always, but most of the time. So I try to work predominantly with things like product preference, day parting, spend preference, and frequency, so RFM, recency, frequency, and monetary spend. Yeah, it's funny that you say uh, for, for positioning, because I, I think demographic is actually useless uh, for brand positioning in general. And uh, in my book, which is right behind me, so I'll do the sales pitch. Um, okay. <laughs> in my book, I talk about behaviors more than anything, because you're right. Just because I'm a man doesn't want to I mean, I don't want to have pink pancakes. And just because I'm a man doesn't mean I don't want to go to flower child, for instance, which is, uh, I think, a more feminine a flower child. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, demographics, I think are long gone. I think the only place that they truly have meaning and use is when you're trying to find though, like people like me in other areas as you, as you uh, grow and scale. And we, we talked to, uh, Gregory Nasser from uh, Born, who does location mm -hmm. intelligence uh, about that very thing uh, in, in a previous episode. Um, so you talk about these really large email lists, which I think to the one to 10 location restaurateur leader, uh, they're probably like, wow, that's, uh, that's huge. I'm never going to be there. Um, but I have found that a lot of restaurant leaders don't put a lot of value in building their email list. Um, they tend to focus on the, the hot buzzy thing, whether it's TikTok or be real or uh, the list goes down. Um, but how do you suggest 
restaurateurs uh, from startup to getting into that, what I would call small business, um, which would be probably at the 10, 15 units. Um, how do you suggest they grow their list and why should they care? Uh, well, yeah, so why should they care is very simple because this is the most cost-effective to, way to reach people that actually want to hear from you. Because if they signed up for your email list, it means at least at some point in time they were interested in what you have to say. And it costs you next to nothing to reach them. Any other way of uh, getting out to them would cost you more money. Even if you know where they live, direct mail costs you, you know, 50 cents to a dollar a pop. Uh, if you want to chase them around the internet, you know, you know, it's going to be, well, they, they, it, it can get pretty crazy in terms of uh um, cost uh, cost per transaction for per completed transaction impressions are cheap, but you know impressions don't get you very far. Um, so you really the, the the main reason you want to do it is because it's the most cost effective way. The ways to get people into your email um, into your email marketing program there are a lot of different options. Um, I am a huge fan, as you would guess, of loyalty programs, mm -hmm. and loyalty programs give the guests a reason to get opted into your marketing and they give you the guest a reason to share their purchasing information with you so you can acquire it easily. So I think the carrot of a loyalty program, whether it's being just a welcome offer or it's um, it, it may be just ongoing points and offers and so on, that is a really, really good carrot for the guests. And then the program itself, it almost kind of fades into background, both for guests and for you. The base base program structure, it needs to be such that you are not giving the form away, but it needs to be attractive enough that people bother to continue checking in. But it doesn't really need to be particularly expensive. But um, jumping off the, my, my favorite train of, uh, <laughs> of loyalty program as a carrot for um Carrot for getting people into your email marketing, online ordering, making sure that your flow opts guests in. Extremely important. You, you want to opt them in at the right point. You want to opt them in not up front, but towards the end of the transaction. Because at the time when they make the transaction, it's really critically important that um, they finish that transaction. And that's your obviously number one priority. But making sure it's really easy for them to opt in at the end of the transaction is absolutely important. And if, if they don't, then what you can do, you can you still have their their information. You have their email addresses. You have their often home addresses. Um, you can still go around and chase them around the internet and entice them with your loyalty program or welcome offer, or even just a sign up offer for your for your e club. Being able to opt into the email marketing list in the restaurants um, at the point at the point at the point of sale as they are um, processing. Their transaction for dining services on the mobile device when you um, when they are checking out, there are millions of ways of getting their <laughs> getting their information in. So um, it's not that hard to build email marketing lists, and um, it's a shame that not so many restaurants do it. Yeah. Having said that, once you've built it up, you have to do something with it. You cannot like if you keep on sending one email per month to the entire database announcing your LTO you're probably not going to see um, a major effect. But like with any marketing effort, a lot of it is incremental, right? So you do it, you get into the habit, you do it all the time, you send it out very regularly, you start at least minor segmentation. And then over time, you see the cumulative effect of it. But uh, I don't think that email marketing for any brand has ever um, 
turn them from being failing to being complete success overnight. It's just not something that you expect. It's an incremental tactic. Certainly. So I've seen a number of systems that start to maybe encroach on um, the CRM world. Uh, so for instance, MailChimp started as mm -hmm. pure email marketing. Now they have features like landing page design and true, truer CRM. Uh, then we have folks like uh, Punch and mm -hmm. Patronix, and uh, I'm not going to mention the other one because I'm not happy with them, um, who also seem to have like this, we'll build you an app. Oh, and by the way, you get all this data and we have an email system. So email always seems to be this sort of tack on as opposed to um, maybe more forward. Now, in the same vein, we also see Wi-Fi gating software companies like um, what used to be known as ZenReach. It's now Adentra. We had Jason on a couple episodes ago uh, where they are naturally building this email subscription through Wi-Fi gating. Uh, but then they also have email marketing on the back end. Is there a preference? Um, is there one that you prefer that you suggest to clients? You say, this is the one that I have found to be the most effective. Um, and does it have to be an app? Because I think people are getting fatigued on apps. Yeah, so it's a difficult question. So I work with a lot of platforms. Some of the ones you mentioned, some of the ones you didn't, and maybe some of the ones that you're not happy about. So <laughs> we, work, we, we work with a lot of platforms. I'll, I'll, I'll be guessing about which one it is, but I don't know for sure. Um, so. Um, I uh, I work with a lot of them, and uh, my main lesson from doing this over the years is that in in the vast majority of cases, if you're not getting the result that you're expecting from the tool that you're using, it's not about the tool, it's about how you're using it. Mm -hmm. So all of those tools are complete magic and miracle compared to what they used to be 20 years ago when I was starting in the restaurant world. You could not possibly think that you would get that level of marketing power and segmentation for something that cost you a hundred bucks per store per month. Yeah, it's it, it was just unthinkable. So yes, a lot of those tools are complicated. Yes, a lot of those tools are clunky. Yes, the technology is not anywhere as seamless as like none of, none of them are perfect, right? It's software. It's, it's a function of software. It's buggy, right? Um, so uh, most of the time, it's if the brand is not getting the results that it expects to see, it's about how they're using the software. It's about trying to stretch the tools that they have to do things that those tools are not designed to do more often than not. Um, and then underutilizing the functionality that is fully developed in that tool. So um, the, what complicates all of this is also that, just like you said, a lot of the uh, a lot of the technology brands in the space are stretching into adjacent functionality. So virtually every brand that I work with that has more than two or three uh, components in their in their marketing tech stack, um, in the vast majority of cases, there is some level of overlapping functionality. And partners within the marketing tech stack are fighting for who's going to do which piece. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. and then the marketer um, in the middle is going, well, I'm going to use this feature from here and I'm going to use that feature from there. But then that piece doesn't work. So, well, yeah, if I use this one, I can get my segments right. But if I go there, but if I get my segments right, I can't see the open rights. So I can target them by purchasing, but I can target them by engagement. And it becomes just a, it becomes a freaking mess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with some some clients, I, I help them sort that mess. Um, 
in many cases successfully and often it's about you know, lowering expectations and figuring out which features you truly care about which are the five features you really really want to work um yeah. and then everything else if it works great if it doesn't who cares, right? So you set the expectations and you make make sure that the basics are used consistently and appropriately. Um, yeah, so uh, it's but it's tricky, yeah, because you know everybody everybody does most everything now. You know, your email marketing platforms are taking on SMS. Um, yep. A lot of platforms used to do apps, so now there's online ordering apps separate from the loyalty apps. And yeah, it's 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 a messy stack and. I, I, there is not a single. I think if if there was a single provider out there that uh, actually did everything start to finish really well, I would love to work for them, but I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're. I, I mean, suffice I to say, in the throes. Really, yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely in the throes of convergence. I mean, we it is choppy water out there. Um, you know, for all the reasons you just said, I think what, what is frustrating at times is how email seems to be the tack on. It seems to be, oh, well, we can do this pretty easily, so let me put it on there. Um, but rare is the case that I see a really strong email offering from some of these providers, like Patronics. Patronics allows you to dump images into a system and then sends it out, and that's an email. Uh, counter to that is MailChimp, which has a robust um, compliant email marketing builder that is truly uh, optimized for email, but then they don't have the other benefits as well. Um, in, in your in your world where you start to have these multiple systems of overlap, how do you start to find that convergent point, and how do you zero in on which system is going to be my email, you know, uh, uh, fulfillment? Uh, it's uh, it's always a bit of a compromise because uh, again historically loyalty programs uh, um, loyalty platforms are good at loyalty and segmentation their email marketing is a little, a little weaker the email marketing platforms are fantastic at email marketing very bad at capturing guest transactions so then um, uh, there are CDPs that are starting to come in with different levels of uh, simplicity. So I think the answer in the in the near term is actually going to be around bringing in the CDP to be able to manage everything. And um, I'm in the middle of a project right now uh, where I'm hoping we're going to be able to solve it for a small to mid-sized brand to where everything is reasonably optimized. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a challenge. And then different brands have different preferences, right? Some some care most. They have so much invested into their loyalty program and loyalty database, and that has to be the center of their uh, marketing tech stack. And then others, there they may have launched a loyalty program, and um, it's you know, five to ten percent uh, participation rate. So it's not that big of a deal for them yet. So they may care m more about uh, using the most efficient email marketing tool, and then the loyalty is kind of on the side, and it's uh, you're doing push notifications and maybe in-app messages um, through the loyalty program. But the majority of your marketing comes uh, comes through email. Because you know, I, I see brands where email marketing list is a million people and the loyalty marketing list is 50,000 people. And then I have brands where uh, the email marketing list is 10% of the loyalty database. So it can go it, it can go either way, right? So it really depends on what is at the center and the circumstances that, that the brand um, 
that the brand is in. But yeah, in my ideal world, I would take you know features like email marketing quality of I don't know brace and combine it with the uh, loyalty power of punch up electronics and blend them together. But that thing doesn't exist yet. Yeah, not yet, <laughs> right? But if anyone's listening, uh, there's a need <laughs> to I say the least. It's just it's just complicated. It's not uh, it's not easy. Yeah, and I wonder yeah. if, it, if some of these uh, newer tech companies are going to tackle that more effectively um, because they're starting with in, in a world where they can see that need. Whereas a lot of these places like. Patronics. I'm not knocking Patronics at all, but they've been around. They started in gift cards, and they still have that gift card basis. And they add on apps. They add on this. They add on. And I sometimes think it's better to come at it clean, where you don't have these legacy systems and legacy anchors holding you mm -hmm. back. And so maybe one of these uh, fresh, fresh folks are going to come up and, and overtake or at least make a good statement, much like Olo did. Not to bring up uh, the, uh, you the know, other, the, uh, the other Olo, the other Olo yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. But you know, Olo right. started as online ordering solely, and they were easily able to grapple away uh, a lot of market share from the likes of Brink and the likes of Aloha, who simply had online ordering as a tack on, um, mm -hmm. something that was not effectively, I think, tackled as a priority from those larger corporations. Um, are there any systems that you, that you have your eye on right now that are really attractive to you that you think could be up and comers? You know, I'm, uh, I'm a little hesitant to mention uh, mention the names because I work with so many of them and anybody I forget, sure. if, they, if they're listening, they're probably going to get a little upset. So I, I feel bad about it. Uh, <laughs> Pointing out, um, pointing out a, a specific um, a specific brand here. So, but there is a lot of there is a lot of cool technology out there. But what I, I am still looking for is um, somebody who is looking holistically looking at the marketing, uh, at the restaurant marketing stack and the needs are associated with it. Because there are a lot of a lot of companies doing pieces of the puzzle with overlapping add-ons, like you said. But thinking about and um, it's it's really interesting because I, I talk to um, marketing platforms doing you know all kinds of things SMS marketing for restaurants loyalty for restaurants small small and big um, Wi-Fi marketing here uh, QR code uh, ordering in the drive through there so they're like you know one of everything uh, was I talking to recently subscriptions um, so all 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 of those components but. Uh, what a lot of the uh, people, usually guys in the technology world, do not understand is when you when you take the restaurant operator, which is a human, mm -hmm. um, and you put him in the middle of the restaurant, and then you realize that that person has to deal with 17 different vendors on any given day across so many different systems. What you think is a big component of the stack is is really just one tiny little thing that they would just rather wave so it goes away and doesn't bother them anymore. Right. Um, and um, I was I was listening to the um, presentation on uh, a brand called Full Course. Uh, I mm -hmm. don't know if you know Lauren. Yeah, um, yeah, she was just on the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was. Um, I was on uh, on the webinar that she did with Brian Meredith, who is a restaurant restaurant coach uh, consultant, and so he was talking about his view on the technology in the restaurants, and it brought up things that I haven't thought about for a long time. He was talking about, well, what happens when you're in a restaurant on a busy night and your direct TV goes out, 
And as you're um, as somebody who is not physically in the restaurants and operating with, you know, your CRM systems and loyalty programs and everything that is a little bit removed from the operation, it kind of dawned on me for the first time in probably a decade because I haven't been you know, in, in restaurants all that much. But yeah, actually, if you're, if you're IT um, support on the TV service goes out, that's actually a substantially bigger problem than if your CRM doesn't work this week. Uh, it's and you tend to forget when you are in this world like oh my god my email had the wrong subject line oh my god my email went to the wrong segment oh my god people got the wrong offer redemption rates like four percent if you're super lucky right so it's not that big of a deal but then if you're there on a friday night and the tv service goes down that is a really big problem it's much more noticeable problem but none of us in the marketing technology world even think about that range of problems that uh, that the restaurants encounter in their everyday life. And at the end of the day, the guy who deals with the TV, maybe on a larger scale, is the same guy that deals with me and my CRM. Mm-hmm, <laughs> what mm-hmm. is the so seeing the big picture of their life is really, really important. I love that. Um, so this has been really informative. I have a lot more questions, but we are coming up on time. So I'm going to drop the hardest question of all. If you had one final meal, where would you eat? What would you eat and why? Oh, that is a tough one. Uh, <laughs> one final meal. Um, so that would have to be split between three countries. Um, it's your last meal. So you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So I'd have to go between some um, uh, Peruvian ceviches. And uh, there's going to be seafood pretty much in all of them, and some sushi in Japan, and then probably like trout, hand rolls in Vietnam. So something that combines those things will probably be. I don't have to get one of those, but yeah. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm, um, I'm a big uh, fan of assorted Asian food and you know and uh, Latin American influenced by um, by Asian too. So that's where my preferences are. I love that so much. Olga, this has been so informative and really helpful. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and sharing all that you know. How can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Uh, sure. So um, uh, my name is Olga Lopategi uh, and nobody can pronounce the last name, so I'm used to that. So it's Olmo as O-L-L-O consult.com. Um, look me up on uh, LinkedIn, shoot me a note, then pretty easy to find. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Olga. We'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Forktales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.